Hello, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on our show today, episode 134. My very special guest is Dr. Geneva Williams. She's going to talk about her research in young voices, and she offers strategies for working with growing voices in your studio. Social media expert Karen Michaels is helping us to understand hashtags, not sharps, hashtags, and how we should use them effectively. Our friend Wendy Jones has a brilliant straw-friendly warm-up of the week, and vocologist Heather Nelson is discussing vocal fry, what it is, and how it can be used as a tool. Vocal pedagogy and business tools right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, welcome, and thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. I have an incredible episode for you. I have amazing guests and amazing teacher takeaways. I am very excited to dive in, but I want to just make a few announcements first. First of all, I want to shout out to the people at mymusicstaff.com. If you are looking to upgrade your studio systems and you want a professional platform to run your teaching business, take care of those online payments, keep your schedule straight, I can't recommend My Music Staff enough. It is easy to use and comprehensive. You can try it for free for 30 days. Go to mymusicstaff.com and all the information is there. I cannot recommend it enough. It has been a lifesaver for me and my teaching studio. The other thing I want to mention with you, if you want to be informed of all the amazing things that are happening on our website, new podcast episodes, new single song downloads, of course, we've got great new resources coming out this year, please sign up for our newsletter. You can unsubscribe at any time and we only send out one email a week. We share great information, helpful information for your teaching studio. So that's on our website, thefullvoice.com. Now, my last announcement. If you are on Instagram, I want you to find me at thefullvoice. Every week I go live and I share lesson plans. The little activities that I have been doing. Now, my studio is online right now and I am happy to share all the little strategies that we have been using and my students are having fun, my families are really happy and there is consistency in my teaching studio right now, which is really lovely. So please follow me on Instagram at The Full Voice. I'm happy to share all of my teaching tips and strategies and lesson plans. Please check that out. Now, I am so excited. My special guest, Dr. Geneva Williams, uh, is the author of Teaching Singing to Children and Young Adults. This book is now in its second edition. It's published by Compton Publishing, and it is by far one of the most important books and textbooks, I feel, that everyone should have in their teaching studio. Geneva Williams is the first singing teacher in the UK to have been awarded a PhD in voice science and the first singing teacher internationally recognized to have researched the vocal health and development of intensively trained child singers. She has numerous courses for singing and she has numerous courses for choral directors and classroom teachers as well. Today we are talking about her research, we're talking about strategies we can use and Ginevra has some wonderful online courses that are coming up this spring that you do not want to miss. So without any further delay, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Geneva Williams. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you as a guest. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm absolutely fine, Nikki, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be meeting you too. Oh, this is, uh, we were just talking briefly, and I was just saying to um, Ginevra, I have your book, Teaching Singing to Children and Young Adults, and this book is postmarked, written in, dog-eared, and has been used so extensively in my teaching studio that it is actually falling apart. And if we were face-to-face, I would actually get you to sign it. (laughs) 
Well, hopefully we will be face to face one day. I would I would absolutely love that. Your work and your research is such an essential part of anyone who is working with young singers. And I can't thank you enough for this book and for your 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 detailed effort. It is so helpful. And um, I, my first question for you that I've always wanted to ask, what was your inspiration for starting this massive research project? Well, the, the um, original research project, which was my doctorate, uh, my inspiration was that I was teaching choristers in a, a major cathedral in London. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of trouble with some of them getting... Um, vocal health issues and problems with their voices and the press got hold of it and suggested that we were exploiting these children and oh. you know not looking after them properly and so my in my first reaction was well if we are exploiting them we need to find out and do something about it mm-hmm. so i went to look up all the research i could find on children's voices and training boys and and there was nothing. Mm. There was absolutely nothing there to go on. Mm-hmm. So I went to see Professor Graham Welsh, who has done a lot of research with children and, and children's singing. And I said, I really, really want to do this research. I want to find out the stuff about boys. What are we doing to them? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's, of course, pointed out that if you're doing research on children you need to have the ethical clearance from a large organisation. So you either have to be doing the research as part of a PhD oh. or you have to be postdoctoral. Mm. And so he said, you'll have to do a PhD. And I said, there's no way I want to do a PhD. It's a crazy <laughs> amount of work. My husband had just finished one. <laughs> so, um, but I, that was why I did it, because I wanted to know the answers. And... It was because I didn't know what the answer would be, it was very interesting process. And I loved the, um, the sort of thorough and systematic way in which one has to do scientific research. Because I, I was a scientist in a former life anyway, before I went into being a singer. Um, so I, I've, I'm very comfortable with that kind of thinking and it seemed to to tie everything together for me and and it was a very enjoyable process and i met some amazingly interesting people and had help from top top professionals i mean really lovely generous people helping me along the way i had johan zunberg as my co-supervisor and i had meetings with him every year he was just wonderful i had professor david howard who is a you know very senior professor of electronic engineering in the UK, and he was Ooh. my recording engineer. He oh, just sat there with wonderful. the box, <laughs> twiddling the knobs, because he knew how to do it, <laughs> and he was very keen on the on the research. So I did have a team of very very good people to work with. Oh, that is so inspiring. I um I was a uh, um a participant, well, not a participant, but I, I observed your presentations this past summer uh, with the Nats virtual conference. And uh, you, you partnered with our good friend Dana Lentini, and you were talking about, uh, your presentation was children will listen working with young vocalists. And you and Dana did a beautiful job of handling and debunking those myths that are still prevalent, whether we like it or not, in our industry about working with children. Did you have to deal with these, I'm going to call the, I'm going to say discrimination against working with children. Did you bump up against this when you were doing your research? I, I have come up against it um, in other areas. The research I did was with cathedral choristers who mm-hmm. are trained to a high level anyway. Right. But I have to say the, the um, resistance that I've had from that community, not everybody by any mm-hmm. means, I have had some f- wonderful uh, relationships with, with people in that, in that field, but mm-hmm. there has been resistance from the, uh, the choir trainers, the choir leaders who are primarily organists, Oh. Um, and they're trained. So they're trained keyboard players. They are wonderful musicians, mm-hmm. 
And their um, experience of training children is primarily of training musicians, really, right. musicians who sing, and not necessarily coming from a deep knowledge of how voices work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I have actually had a little bit of resistance to introducing them to the idea of knowing about a little bit about technique mm. and a little bit about how voices work. They're their problems were that they thought it would overcomplicate things for the singers. Oh, I see. Whereas um, my stand is always that, you know, these kids are not stupid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can understand quite complex things. They want to know what's going on. You don't need to have to show them, um, you know, pictures of anatomical diagrams or anything, but you can explain <laughs> about air pressure and you can explain about effort levels. And you can explain about alignment of the body and you can try things out and play games and there's all sorts of things you can do to learn. Mm -hmm. And all we're learning to do is to use the body in the most efficient way we can Mm -hmm. so that we're making life easier for singers and they're able to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Oh, so it seems so simple, but yet it's, it's not. Yeah. And we do it with any other training for children. You know, when you're learning an instrument and you think of the detailed level of engagement that mm. some young uh, string players and keyboard players have, you know, at the age of eight or nine, they are learning very, very um, balanced technique mm-hmm. for bow hold and for, you know, the body use. And they are le- kids who are doing sport of course, at a high level. Learn really, really particular techniques and they do drills and they do exercises and their training involves them doing, you know, very advanced work and they love it. They do love it. And I just wanted to chime in. My son is very much uh, obsessed with baseball and he works with a very high level elite coach. And it was always fascinating to watch how he worked with young bodies, with young children. But the technique and the mechanics are very important in that instruction. And they do understand. And they do they do respond to understanding the body and the mechanics. If it's presented in a way that's fun. And, well, in the case of boys, that they get to just use their bodies a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They've got to learn what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've got to try it out. You try it out the way that doesn't work, and then you try it out the way that does work, and then you say, which one do you like, and why do you like it, and let's try that one again. And it's all just just experiential learning. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's wonderful. Um, I have some specific questions, and these are common challenges that I think teachers working with young singers come up against, and I would love for you to share your expertise on this. The first question I have is, um, often when working with a young singer, uh, sometimes they struggle with pitch, um, matching pitch or finding the correct pitches. What what strategies would you offer teachers who are feeling that they're not helping their students? Well, the first thing to know is that it's quite common for mm. children to struggle with pitch matching. Mm-hmm. The younger they are, the more likely it is that they will be struggling. Mm-hmm. The more singing they do, the better they'll get. Mm -hmm. so even if you do nothing they will improve over time Mm -hmm. ah yes um so that that is encouraging Mm -hmm. to know um but there are things that you can do Mm -hmm. to help kids and the most important thing to remember is that if someone is struggling with pitch matching it is highly unlikely that they have a problem with hearing Mm. it's not that then that they are not hearing the pitch. It's not that they have a problem with their ears. It will be to do with some kind of mismapping in the brain. Okay. That the wires have not got connected to the right bits in the brain. Mm-hmm. And hearing and singing in tune and pitch matching is about matching vibrations. Primarily, it's about frequencies. Mm-hmm. And I know people who are profoundly deaf who can tell whether something is in tune or not mm, mm-hmm. because they feel the frequency. 
And these are people who perform in bare feet because they feel the frequency coming through the floor. Mm. Uh, and people who will, will touch um, instruments whilst they're tuning them to make sure that they're in tune. So it is possible to understand and pitch match without hearing anything. Brilliant. It's much more difficult and you have to train it, but it is possible. <laughs> sure. So there are other ways in. That's all I'm saying. There are other ways in. The, the way I always suggest people go about it is to start off by asking the child to sing something. Do me a little tune. Sing me the beginning of Happy Birthday. Sing me the beginning of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Something that they will be familiar with. Mm -hmm. And whatever they give you, you then match your voice to that. Oh, I love that. So they sing and you say, do it again and do it again. And they'll probably go down the same path and you very gently and quietly match their pitch and go over and over again. So they get used to the idea of another human voice at the same frequency. Brilliant. Then you can play games with taking it up and down and making the range bigger and making the range smaller, not with any judgment of getting it right, mm -hmm. but just playing about with taking it into different parts of the pitch range and then matching it. And if you go with them, that's the way. As soon as you ask them to match you, then you'll come up against a blank the brain will, will zone out and the, it just scrambles. I think that's so insightful. I know that a lot of teachers are struggling now because most of us, many of us are online and now we can't play the piano for our students. So with with helping them with pitch recognition and finding pitch, we want to be voice on voice or voice to voice rather than relying on an instrument. Always voice to voice. Uh, because, again, if you think about the um, the complex upper frequencies in any sound... So like the overtones? We, yeah, the overtones. We hear different combinations of those. And if you play a note on a piano... It's got a very different sort of acoustic fingerprint, as it were, to that mm. same pitch from a voice or the same pitch from an oboe or, you know, it's, it's a very different sound mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. can sound jangly and not right. And until we've learnt to decipher what the fundamental frequency is from mm -hmm. that signal and what the, so what the pitch is, mm -hmm. you know, we, it can take a while to work it out. And mm -hmm. so it's much easier to match a voice. And so if you are an adult male teacher and your singing voice is much lower than your students, oh, yes. um, see if you can get one of the other students to do it, to demonstrate. Oh. Because it's even better to have a child voice matching a child voice. Oh, that's so important. And I would imagine like male voices being an octave lower could be very confusing to the treble voice. Yeah, yeah. It, once you've learned to make the translation, it's, it's easy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it is something that you do have to translate in your head automatically, get mm -hmm. the octave difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I find that with, the, with my boys who are going through voice change, um, uh, I need, they, they start to confuse which octave we're singing in. And that's a, that's yeah. a and then I found myself with a couple of my boys singing far lower in my range to help them find that pitch. And in some cases, I've actually referred them to a male colleague just for just to make it easier for them to find those pitches. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I found myself going down because, of course, when they're sort of developing young tenor or so, you know, in stage three, their voice is, you know, probably not going much lower than E flat mm -hmm. below middle C. And that's about where my voice goes down to. <laughs> so I can match their pitch, but then they get really confused and they try and sing an octave lower. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> it can be, you know, you say, yeah, okay, don't sing my pitch, sing this pitch. Right. And then it, you know, but you just need to unscramble that and then they get it. Oh, and it's fine. Such great strategies. I, 
I would love to know, do you have, do you have a favorite age range of, of student that you really love to work with? Mm. No, <laughs> not really. Not really. Um, I mean, uh, I think variety Mm. is the key mm-hmm. you know I love working with really little ones because they're such fun and you can just play games all the time mm-hmm. I love working with um kids who are coming up to sort of 10 or 11 because they're just getting to the top end of that of childhood and starting to really get interested and in stuff I love working with teenagers because I myself was a pretty rebellious teenager and I've just <laughs> I, I, I recognize that and I've, I've always loved working with teenagers um and and then student age, you know, right. it's um, they're fun too. And I mean, I work with people all the way through, right the way through, to uh, in their eighties and nineties. You know. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Now you you have a new vocal health education program. This is very exciting. You have partnered with Stephen King, who is the founder of the Holistic Voice Care Center. And, That's correct. And can you tell us about vocal health first aid? Vocal health first aid is the first level of training that we're offering with uh, vocal health education. And this is for anybody working with voices. It's a relatively straightforward qualification. You go online, there are nine hours of films to watch. So there's lots of material. And the people we've had presenting the material are all absolute experts in their field. We've got a wide range of presenters. And and then there's a quiz at the end. And if you get through the quiz, then you go and have a, a little informal conversation with somebody online. Brilliant. Just to get some feedback and make sure that you've enjoyed it and it's all you know, worked out for you. Um, The vocal health first aider will then have a much better idea of how to do that initial help for a a vocalist in trouble. Mm. This could be somebody who has got a bit of a hoarse voice and doesn't understand why, or Mm. somebody who is really tired at the end of their afternoon rehearsal and doesn't know whether they should do the evening concert, or somebody who has been feeling a bit sore in the throat for a while and doesn't know, you know, so it's any vocal problem. Um, It's not top level um, assessment. It is very much grassroots level assessment. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the vocal health first aider will be able to give you some quick tips Mm -hmm. to get to see if you can get your voice back online, you know, doing some singing through a straw exercises or some simple breathing exercises often it's just a question of doing a bit of being nice to somebody and chatting them through the problem setting them down doing a bit of mindfulness with them calming them down sorting it out mm-hmm. you know putting it in perspective um and then the the vocal data know where to signpost them so where to know when somebody needs to go and see a doctor mm. about their voice, to mm-hmm. know when they need to actually go and get some help with their uh, mental health, where they go and see a counsellor or, you know, a school counsellor or somebody, um, and to know where where to send them and where to refer them on so that they are looked after. And if, if every organisation, every choir, every Saturday school, every theatre company every um, conservatoire, all of these places need somebody who is the known first aider. Like you have somebody to go to if you fall over and you really hurt your wrist, you know there's somebody in the company to go to who will say, I think you need to go to hospital or I think you're going to be fine. And this is the same for the voice. This sounds like a very comprehensive program. Is this a requirement in the UK? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. It's required by law to have a first aider. Um, and it's becoming a required, it's, it's becoming accepted to have a mental health first aider. So we're still a little bit up, up, away from changing the world completely, but we're on the way. 
Oh, how how exciting. I guess here we would call it like a licensed healthcare provider. So is, yeah. is it similar in the UK? Yeah, and we are in the process of getting accreditation for that. So we will, and in fact, that's coming up pretty soon, that we will be offering um, a proper qualification, which will have a certificate that goes with it and a license to practice. Um, and so it will be recognised, certainly in the UK. Um, and we are then now in the process of rolling out the next level of training. Oh, how exciting. So the next level of training is for all the singing teachers and vocal coaches and people who want to help singers who are having vocal problems but who aren't necessarily clinically trained to do so. Mm. So these are all, this is the grey area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We mm-hmm. have a grey area between singing teachers who are really good singing teachers and therapists and rehabilitation specialists who deal with, with clinical issues. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit in between mm. where we need singing teachers who know what they're doing, who know how to help a singer who has had an injury or who has had a problem. And they know how to recognise the, the multitude of influences on that singer. So knowing when, you know, there's anxiety involved and knowing when there are physical pressures involved and knowing when they need a bit of help with their diet and their fitness mm. and knowing all of the different aspects, whether they need work on their speaking voice. You know, so, so knowing... Knowing how to deal with those issues, having that expertise. And this is the middle layer. And again, this is going to be an accredited qualification. This is the vocal health practitioner. Oh, this is so exciting. Mm, And this is very much the middle layer. And then the top layer will be the specialist, the rehabilitation specialist, which will be the singing teacher who works in a voice clinic, who works alongside the consultant, uh, laryngologist, and the speech therapist, and, you know, who has that clinical expertise. Um, this is, this sounds similar to, I think, in the US, is is the definition of a vocologist. Mm-hmm. So we don't have those programs here in Canada. Um, and there is this big missing Peace between the singing teacher and the person who has that extended knowledge that helps them in more of a medical way. Do you, is is there vocology in the UK? It's a term that people use. Some people use, but we don't have any kind of recognised mm. qualification yet. Okay, and that's what you're working on. Is why we're doing it. Yes, yes. <laughs> so exciting. And. and one of the areas, of course, is specialising in children's voices mm. because children's vocal health is incredibly important because we, are, we have a duty of care mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to children. We have to make sure that they know how to use their voices safely and happily and efficiently and effectively and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to know how to guide them mm-hmm. to do that. And children will often have voice problems. You know, they, they go in and out of, of trouble with their voices in the same way that they get injuries elsewhere in their bodies. Sure. You know, it's just part of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be able to, to guide them and help them. I'm excited to see how this program grows and continues. Now, in addition to Vocal Aid First Health, on your website, you ha- offer uh, quite a few online courses, uh, one of them being teaching children, um, but you ha- also have a, a, a number of other voice-related online courses. Now, there you're doing another session of these spring 2021. Can you let everybody know what offerings you have? Because I guarantee you there's some eager voice teachers that would love to study with you. Yeah, and isn't this the amazing bonus of online uh, training? Absolutely. You know, it, when we all um, we got to to lockdown in March, and and everybody stopped, mm-hmm. and my work stopped. All of my students just stopped, and I sat there and I, I 
to be honest, my initial thought was I can write another book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, that never happened because I thought, well, I better put these courses online. People want to do them. Absolutely. I'll make them online. So I did. And it went, it was great. Mm. I did loads of online teaching all over the summer mm -hmm. and um, through the autumn as well. And now I'm thinking, reinventing myself again. You know, we keep having to do this, don't we? We just respond to the situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm going to be doing is pre-recording a lot of the material and putting that onto a learning platform so that people can access pre-recorded sort of lecture presentations mm -hmm. and then sign up for group group work with me and other singing teachers. Oh, so So exciting. it will be similar. You, if you want to do the Teaching Young Voices course, you will sign up and do the, the online filmed content, which is, you know, you do in your own time. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it or during it, you sign up for some either group sessions with other singing teachers or one-to-one -one sessions with me. And then we get to talk about it. Oh. And we get to answer questions and we get to share our experiences. And this is where the magic happens, isn't it? When we mm -hmm. all get together and talk it through. Oh, so exciting. I will gladly put all links to your websites uh, and to the Vocal Health First Aid site. And of course, links to your wonderful books. Um, do you have any other research projects right now that you're working on that you'd like to share with anybody? Um, I don't think I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll edit that. <laughs> I've done, I did a big research project of uh, three or four years ago on choral singers, adult choral singers, oh. uh, on their uh, comfort levels in the choir, on their choice of voice parts, mm. uh, on their overall vocal health. And we gathered loads and loads of data on that, some of which was published. A lot of it is just sitting in filing systems somewhere. <laughs> um, but I don't have any uh, research projects on the go at the moment. I'm quite busy setting up training. I love it. <laughs> that, How wonderful. That is where it all is at the moment. Uh, and I think I do have students who are doing research. Mm -hmm. And I do mentor master's students and I mentor PhD students. So I do have connections with research through that. Oh, Ginevra, I am, I, I'm just so thrilled to speak with you today. And again, I cannot thank you for the work that you've done in your books and your courses and the presentations that you did with, with Dana. And of course your presentation on the male changing voice, so insightful, so inspiring. Thank you for all of this. And I also wanted to mention that you are a wonderful member in our Voice Teachers for Young Singers Facebook group. And I, I am just honored that you're in there offering some wonderful uh, strategies and teaching and advice. And thank you for that. I was going to add one more thing, actually, that the you mentioned my presentations for Nats. Yes. Um, all of that material is on my YouTube channel. Oh, which is it's all just there, free. Oh, Go thank for you. It. Help yourself. <laughs> thank you. I will put direct links from our mm. uh, the show notes right to your YouTube links so that people can enjoy them. So if you weren't uh, able to attend the presentations in the summer, please check those out. Ginevra, I want to thank you so much for your time and your expertise and for these wonderful books and for these amazing opportunities online now to reach out and connect with you. And I hope that uh, you'll be a returning guest and we can focus on specific topics in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. So if anybody's got any any questions they wanted to ask, you know, we could we could have a, a Q&A oh, session. That is, I, yes, yes. It'll be me asking all the questions, but no. <laughs> No, that's a wonderful idea. We can uh, we can ask questions uh, from our group and then have a beautiful Q&A. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for today. Thank you very much for having me, Nikki.
If you are using any social media channels to promote and celebrate everything that happens in your teaching studio, I'm sure you have seen all the little hashtags that uh, get stuck on the bottom of each post. Well, I brought our social media expert, Karen Michaels, back to the show to talk to us specifically about hashtags, what they are, why we use them, and how to use them effectively. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast, our social media expert and our dear friend, Karen Michaels. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I love that we sing our introductions to each other. (laughs) Weird. Could we be voice teachers? I Uh, wonder. (laughs) I know. And look, I have my straw. I warmed up this morning because, of course, it's really early here. For those of of you who don't know, Karen's (laughs) on the West Coast. She's in uh, Nevada. And... uh, uh, it's she always gets up so early because I'm on the East Coast and what what time and I love it. <laughs> You're so sweet. I do adore you for that. Now, Karen, I've asked for a, I have a request from many of our listeners and from mm. teachers, and of course, I see these. I see I see the the errors that I used to make, but we're talking about hashtags, uh. not sharps. Hashtags. <laughs> not sharps, not number signs, but hashtags. Not octothorps. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not a tic-tac-toe design. Ooh, we are on it, girl. <laughs> okay, so for somebody who is like, what are these hashtags? What do I do with them? Let's start with that. And then I want to get into the best practices for okay. using hashtags. And of course, there's different rules for different uh, platforms. Mm, dang it. They had to go and do that, didn't they? (laughs) Couldn't they just have a little summit together and have a hashtag summit and just all have the same? For heaven's sakes. Okay, Um, so let's start. Let's start with what they are and why we need to use them. Right. Okay, so really what hashtags are, it's a little system. You can think of it like I I tend to think of it like the library, right? So if there's a hashtag, let's say hashtag singer. Then when you, when you, you can now follow those hashtags, which is amazing on Instagram. Um, and you can put it in your, um, in your, well, I always put it in comment number one, but we'll get to that. Um, so when you, when someone taps on the hashtag singer, it literally shows all the posts potentially of someone that has that word. And so for you as an individual, it can actually categorize your different posts. Mm -hmm. Hence why we don't want to always use the same hashtags for each post. And that's kind of a little bit of an update. It's probably always been that way. So what I'm doing this fall is I'm going to go through all of my clients' hashtags and I'm going to really put them into groups and be really particular about how I'm using them. So for example, if somebody is a fairly regular blog writer, but obviously not every post is about blogs, I'm not going to use the blog hashtag on on some of those posts, right? So I'm going to get really, really, really particular. Um, Because what you want to do is you want to help your audience, A, find you, and B, understand what you're writing about. Right. So that's uh, to me, uh, the best way to think of hashtags is it's a way of categorizing. It's a way to be found, especially on um, Instagram, on the explore page. Mm. So let's go through the best practices for the um, for the platforms. Um, Facebook mm, is two to three hashtags maximum. It doesn't look pretty in the post. Um, they don't really use them there. I mean, you can find them there a little bit, but it's not, it's not really about that. That platform isn't really about hashtagging even on your business pages. So I'll put it in there sometimes to actually make the posts just look interesting. It's sort of like when I use my fun, um, text delicious, when you'll see like words that look fun or italicized words, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that, but otherwise Facebook and hashtags are not necessarily synonymous at all. The next one. Um, yeah, so that's Facebook, um, Instagram. So Instagram, Instagram, Instagram loves her hashtags because of the explore page. So this will be a little bit longer than the other platforms. Instagram, you can have up to 30 hashtags per post. Okay. So I always say, if they allow you the real estate, you may as well use it. 
But again, you want it to be relevant to your post, relevant to your account, relevant to yourself. So don't just use a hashtag that could be trending Mm. just because it's trending. If you want to use a hashtag that's trending, then write your post about that. Nice. So okay. sometimes I will, I will take note of, um, I have several things and several um, groups and businesses that I'm a part of and in, and we'll look at the trending hashtags of the day. And I can see if any of my people will fit into that. Otherwise okay. I stay away from it because that can be considered spammy and the, and the platforms don't like that. Right. So with Instagram though, the trick is, and I don't like to put hashtags in the post because I think it doesn't look pretty. Okay. Um, and right. And often um, on Instagram, a lot of people will be feeding into their Facebook account, which is a great practice because they're um, connected, but we don't want to have those 30 hashtags in Facebook. So one way that you can, I'm going to air quote, hide them is you can use bullet points and not bullet points, but um, periods. And then you just Um, use the return bar and you need to go five or more. And you may have seen that where there's a big long space. Oh, so you leave the space in the post and then they're kind of hidden. I would call it like beneath the fold. Yeah. Oh, right. Beneath the fold. Right. And that would be, um, and you need, you do need to use the, um, the period sign. Um, Okay. You can't just use the space bar without any sort of, um, oh, grammar marking. Know that. Yes. So, and so you can hide it that way if you want. Now, okay. the other way that I think is better me personally, um, is you put it in the first comment. Oh, right. I've seen that. Yes. You've seen that. And you know that that's what I do for you a lot. So, yes. but here's the trick. And this is kind of one of those wacky things. You must put your hashtags in within 30 seconds Oh, of the original post. <laughs> oh, so you can't go back and just put hashtags in a comment. Well, you can, but so what you want to do is uh, the way I do it is I have my hashtag groupings in a note on my phone. So it's okay. sitting in the note. So then I'll, I'll do create the post and post. Then I just go and I copy the hashtags I go back to Instagram and I insert it into the first, um, into that first comment. And so I have that little routine. And so the reason you want to be within 30 seconds is because, and this is the second half of what kind of hashtags to use. You want to be found in the explore page. Well, if you're using a super popular hashtag, like Mm -hmm. singer, Voice teacher. So for example, for myself, since I'm in Las Vegas, one of my um, hashtags is, is the word Las Vegas and Las Vegas singer. Obviously, those are really, 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 really popular words. Um, you want to be found on the explore page. And and if it's a if it's a hashtag that's used by millions, it's mm. really, really hard to get there. So the other half of half of my opinion about Um, hashtags is that you want to use some really, really, really highly, um, highly followed, very popular hashtags, maybe five to 10. And then the rest are specific to you. For example, yes. So, so when I use the happy singing hashtag, yes. Or full voice music hashtag. Yes. What would be another good one for you? Full voice Uh, podcast. Full voice podcast. podcast. Right. Like podcast is the big umbrella times. Right. Mm. And then full voice podcast will lead people specifically to you. So Mm. when they tap that only your account shows up. I like that. We, and we like that, right. We don't want to compete with, you know, NPR or, 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 or (laughs) what did you say? CB, CBC. Oh yeah. Yeah. The CBC broadcasting. Yes. No, I don't compete with them. (laughs) Right. Well, and I mean, sure, we are that, and and it's not really competitive. They're actually uplifting us by having such popular podcasts. But so that's how you want to do it. You want to have pod, um, hashtags that are specific to you and your account, your post, and what you're doing. Does that make sense? It does, it, and that's very Perfect. helpful. Now, what about what about a platform like LinkedIn? Do they LinkedIn, th- mm-hmm, three to okay. four hashtags are best practices for LinkedIn. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And I should mention TikTok because 
I mean, oh, yeah. I, I'm a TikTok lover. I'm on it, but I haven't posted yet. I'm watching and learning. Um, but I noticed and I looked it up that hashtags for TikTok three to five seem to be best practices for TikTok. Mm. I've been seeing uh, a lot of teachers having fun with TikTok. I think uh, it's so much fun. It's, such a, it's it's a neat little platform. It's fantastic. And you know what? Just so everyone knows, you did not waste your time on there. Instagram has come out with reels. And I know this is slightly off topic, but reels, I think we're going to talk about it in another, um, in another um, podcast. But reels are what's the Instagram answer to TikTok. So save Ooh. all those videos, download them to your phone you'll be able to use them again. (laughs) Nice. Well, I want to thank you for popping on today. I know that hashtags for some of us is just this, what are these things and how do they work? But they are important and they really can help us to grow our our, um, followings and also connect with other teachers similar to to us. Yes. I love your, your energy and your passion for all things social media and helping everybody to use the platforms properly and get the most out of them. Thank you so, so much. And we will talk to you soon again. I can't wait. I'm excited already. (laughs) Awesome. Wendy Jones was a guest on Podcast 127. She was discussing low latency technologies with our friend Eden Castile. Now, when I have guests on the show, I always like to ask them about their favorite go-to vocal warm-ups. And Wendy had a fantastic one to share. You better get your straws ready. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast, Wendy Jones. How are you today? Uh, Wendy, thank you so much for your time. Now, uh, we're talking about two very popular concepts in the voice studio. We're talking about the Mesa de Voce and using straws. But you do that together. So can you uh, let everybody know about this very interesting warm up? Yes, there's also two other components, a cup and some water. So I get a little solo cup and put a lid on it. Got to put a lid on it because um, (laughs) you'll get yourself wet unless you want to shower. And I have a reusable metal straw. In this case, it's bent. Very nice. My students are all given this. Well, when they're in person, they are. They are part of coming to my studio. They get a plastic cup. And they get their own set of reusable metal straws. It's a little oh, great. swag bag thing. And then um, we do a lot of semi-occluded vocal tract exercises in this. We'll blow bubbles, slides. You know, I'm sure you've done that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we like to do after we've warmed up using our slides of fifths or whatever Um we will work on the Mesa de Voce, which I have not done yet today, so it's li- likely to be pretty interesting. But you want to make sure the straw is not fully against the bottom or you'll ha- you'll not be able to get the sound out. I like to make sure it's about an inch in. And I do these with my tongue out because that's how my speech therapist taught me to do it. I have just a little oh. bit of an issue if my little tongue likes to hang out in the back of my throat. So I can practice SOVTs and making sure that my tongue is not tied to phonation all at the same time, and I get to blow bubbles. So the idea is, is that we just start softly, and then we crescendo and decrescendo, and keep the bubbles going. It's amazing. So I don't know if I can do it. I'm going to try. I'm going to try right here. And then we just go up little pitches, and then we reverse it. We start loud. I'm going to pick a different pitch. And so we'll do, like I said, after we've done some slides on the straw. And I have a tendency, I find a lot of my students have tongues that like to travel in the back of the throat. So we just do Mm -hmm. that with our tongue out. And oftentimes the younger, no, not the younger students, everybody from age 12 to 74 laughs and has fun with the bubbles Absolutely. and so so we slide we glide and then we do some mesa de voce with the straw 
That is brilliant. Oh my goodness. I'm stealing that. And now a well, million people are going to steal that. <gasps> actually, I can't take credit for it. That was given me to, given to me, but I'm, I had some vocal issues. So Tara Nixon was my uh, singing specialist at Duke Voice Care. And that's one she gave me. And I do that brilliant. every single day. The, one of these cups is in my car. One is at my desk. And I always use my, this is how I keep my voice healthy. Podcast expert, vocologist Heather Nelson is returning to our show. Today, our topic is vocal fry. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Heather Nelson. How are you today? Doing very well. Happy to be with you today. Oh, it's always lovely to talk to you. You, uh, you are brilliant at uh, unwrapping uh, very concise and wonderful little lessons. And I always have wonderful takeaways when you come to the show. Today, we're talking about vocal fry. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting about vocal fry is there are things that we have to be concerned about vocal fry, but it can also be used as a tool. Absolutely. So let's let's unpack let's unpack that. Yes, yeah, so vocal fry has a bit of an undeserved reputation as being the um, the killer of voices, and unfortunately, um, that uh, that reputation has uh, come from a little bit of a misunderstanding of what vocal fry is, in my opinion. So, what is it? First of all, it's just a register in our voices. It is the lowest part of our register. Down in those low parts of our voices, it sounds gravelly because the vocal folds are moving so slowly that we're actually hearing the individual contacts of the TA muscle as they come together. And so um, they're moving slow enough. It still be, would, would be difficult to see the movement with, um, with the naked eye, but we can hear those little contacts. And so it sounds like popping or gravelly or um, like, like frying bacon in a pan. <laughs> That's where it kind of gets the, <laughs> the name from. And so the register itself is neutral. It just exists. We all have it. And um, it is not an indication that if you have vocal fry that your voice is unhealthy or, or anything. Every, everybody's got it. It's just there. Where it can get to be unhealthy or inefficient is when we use it in a way that is not optimal. And so if you are, say someone who happens to speak a lot in vocal fry, that, that seems to be kind of a cultural linguistic phenomenon that we have going on right mm -hmm. now, that mm -hmm. there's a lot of vocal fry speak. Back in the 80s, early 90s, we had a different thing. We had a lot of up speak, you know, that was in, <laughs> in voices. And that was just kind of a cultural linguistic phenomenon. And, you know, in another 10, 15 years, it'll be something else that we can complain about. But for right now, the, the voices tend to, um, in our culture, uh, tend to skew toward vocal fry. If you speak with a lot of vocal fry, but you try to project that sound, if you're using a lot of pressed phonation or not using enough air, that's when things can get um, harmful and you can end up with... Um, with some sort of a, a diagnosis, perhaps. Not always, but sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you are using vocal fry, but you have adequate breast support with it, if you um, are not using too much force with the muscles, then vocal fry can be a very effective way to sing or even speak. We think about the... Um, uh, in Russian music, those octavists that are, you know, that can mm. sing those those glorious low notes that, you know, just kind of boom through a church. I listened recently to a video that had like 10 of those octavists in one, oh, wow. one choir, and you could almost feel the rumble through the computer. <laughs> it was just, it was glorious. But they're using vocal fry and they're using it in an efficient and um, much refined way. They have to study that and that that's totally fine fine, but you can definitely hear that those individual contacts of the, of the vocal folds, because you can hear that kind of almost poppy sound as they're singing that low. So when we are using vocal fry efficiently, you can hear it in pop music. It's used all the time as an affect and, um, 
uh, it can give a sense of, um, uh, you know, emotion. It can be kind of yes. um, uh, pain or, uh, you know, coyness or something like that that you you um, you use as a vocal affect uh, in your voice. And that does not mean that every time you you pull that into your styling that you are doing something harmful to your voice. And That's so vocal fry is just like any other register. If you use it incorrectly or in an inefficient way, you could end up with harm. But if you use it well, it can be an absolutely um, useful and very effective register to use. I, I That is such inf- helpful information. Now, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Mm-hmm. So for those, of, for those of us who are working with young voices, with young children, um, and we, I've seen this over the last few years, more and more of my young singers, so I'm talking like mm, seven, eight, maybe nine, who are speaking constantly with a vocal fry sound. Now, I do my best not to like make them feel like um, self-aware. Mm-hmm. We talk about, you know, we talk about lifting the pitch up a bit. Is that is that a concern if we hear it constantly? I th- <clears throat> concern is is it may my answer is maybe <laughs> okay um, fair fair and uh, I agree with you. I think it's very important that when we are dealing with um, with habits like that, and it really is just a habit, that we are careful not to shame our students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or to shame anyone because our voices are such a part of our identity. We can we run into this even with singing that if we um, uh, are somehow pointing out something that is a fault in someone's voice, that can make them feel very self conscious, and it can turn into something is wrong with me very quickly. Of course, instead of mm-hmm. there's something with our voices. So I think we just need to be very very careful with that. Where I would be concerned, and we have to also remember we are only um, seeing our students for a very, very small percentage of the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have noticed this could be just um, my observation, so take it for what you will. Sometimes vocal fry can um, be masking shyness where they may not want to um, project their voices because they feel shy. And so that's Mm. a protective mechanism. So... um, it could be a little bit of that. Um, you can also get the opposite where people are too demonstrative, you know, because they're trying to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mask a little bit of insecurity. So uh, if if that is the concern, then you've got to tackle the the feeling behind it rather than just tackling the behavior. So interesting. Um, if it is a habit um, where it is just that they're speaking that way all the time, um, or you think that they are, uh, that's something I would listen to mom and dad. And I'd listen to older brothers and sisters. What does their speech sound like? Because they're probably mm-hmm. picking up on habits they're hearing from people they love and are around a lot. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, just talk about how their voices have um, multiple colors that they can use, you know, how they can um, sometimes if they want to um, uh, use their voices to project or if they're standing in front of a classroom, we definitely don't want them to uh, project um, fry like in a presentation where they have to raise their voices. That That is not something that you want to happen very often, but, you know, you can work with um, uh, ways to, uh, speak, you know, you can, and you can frame it as, you know, when you're a performance, you talk to people sometimes, this is how we can talk to people and think about Mm -hmm. the different colors that you can use in a voice. Obviously, if you're very concerned, refer them off to an SLP for evaluation. Um, Sometimes um, fry can can be a um, a vocal fault, although I don't like that word, but that's the word that came to mind. Um, but um, some of that is a little bit above our pay grade. And so if you're very concerned, send them off to be evaluated by an expert. But otherwise, you know, we've, our voices are like colors in the crayon box and we've got lots of different mm. colors that we can use. And Vocal Fry is one of them that we can, we can choose to use when we want. Um, I, love I think the biggest thing is to help our students and ourselves to be aware when we are aware, then we can choose. If we are not aware, then, you know, we're, we're beholden to habit. But if we just work towards a, an awareness, 
however we're using vocal fry or any other register of our voice, when we are aware, we get to choose what we use. And that gives us control and empowers us to use our voices in the ways that we want to. Brilliant. So helpful. Dr. Heather Nelson, thank you so much for sharing these wonderful, uh, wonderful, intense, but uh, so helpful uh, bits of information. Thank you very much. We will have you back on the podcast. You are a podcast expert favorite. So uh, as always, have a fantastic day and we'll see you soon. Excellent. Thank you. A very special thank you to all our episode guests, Dr. Geneva Williams, Karen Michaels, Wendy Jones, and Heather Nelson. Thank you so much, ladies, for a wonderful show. I want to remind everybody to sign up for our newsletter at our website, thefullvoice.com. And don't be afraid to connect with us on Instagram at thefullvoice. I love to share lots of fun that's happening in my teaching studios, lesson plans, new songs, and if you are looking for new music for your teaching studio, I want you to check out the Full Voice Reels on Instagram. We put samples of all our new music on our Reels, and it's a really fun and quick way to hear some of the new music that's coming out on our website. As always, my friend and colleague, I am sending you a virtual hug from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I am wishing you a healthy new year, as well as inspired teaching and happy singing. Made by Canoe Music Productions.